there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome back to Collector's Closet, presented by the Ohio Lottery. Let's discuss my newest prize possession, this new $10 scratch-off, the $500,000 Platinum Jackpot. The best method I've found so far to help it hold its value is to vacuum seal it. This thing cannot get scratched. What's that? Sorry, my producer's telling me the only way it could be worth up to 500 grand is if I do scratch it? Okay, well, in that case, definitely don't overprotect your $500,000 platinum jackpot scratch-offs. Play them. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. The soldiers dig deeper and deeper. Just a few more pounds of dirt and they'll find it. The Duke of Buckingham is convinced. He encourages the soldiers to keep going, reminding them of the glory the treasure will bring King James and all of England. The hole grows bigger, but it's still nothing compared to the massive circles of stones surrounding it. The giant rock pillars form concentric circles. And in the Duke's mind, the center holds massive wealth. If his men dig far enough, they'll hit the metaphorical bullseye, buried treasure. Or so George Villiers, first Duke of Buckingham, thought when he and his men began digging. The Duke was convinced that he'd solved the mystery of Stonehenge. For hundreds of years, people have puzzled over Stonehenge. How it was built, why it was built, what its purpose was. In 1620, the Duke finally had an answer. Stonehenge was a marker for buried treasure. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this podcast, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every week, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries. I'm your host, Richard. And I'm your host, Claire. This is our first episode on Stonehenge, the mysterious prehistoric monument. If you like the show, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. A new episode comes out every Thursday. And while you're there, we'd greatly appreciate a five-star review. It seems simple, but it really helps. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast, on Twitter at Parcast Network, and at Parcast.com. No one knows exactly how Stonehenge was built or why these massive stones were erected in this shape. Why were some stones stacked on others? And why were they arranged in two concentric circles? Whose idea was it to create this structure, and how in the world did they move and stack multi-ton stones? There was no technology at the time that would make this an easy or even seemingly manageable feat. Why would people put such immense effort into erecting these massive stones? 
Was it a marker for buried treasure? A calendar? A ceremonial site? A monument to the dead? This week, we try to find out. We'll examine some of the more popular theories on how Stonehenge was built, and then examine the first major theory on why it was built. Next week, we will examine the second major theory on why it was built, and then tell you what we believe is the most likely theory to this 5,000-year mystery. As you may have realized, the Duke of Buckingham and his men never found buried treasure. Eventually, they gave up digging. With no treasure uncovered, the purpose of Stonehenge was once again an enigma. And Stonehenge still mystifies people to this day. In order to understand why, we need to take a closer look at the monument. Stonehenge lies in the south of England, about 90 miles west of London, in the region of Salisbury Plain. It's a cluster of stalwart stone beams, 93 total. Some vertical, others horizontal, layered on top of the standing stones. The tallest stands at about 20 feet high and weighs 45 tons, taller than three men and heavier than six elephants. Looking up at Stonehenge, most people feel small, inconsequential, and in awe. The feeling in the circle itself is just immense, really. And if the size doesn't do that to you, its age will. Stonehenge is roughly 5,000 years old. Something its name hints at. Stonehenge comes from the combination of two words, stone, obviously, and then henge. Henge is a very archaic word for ditch, which makes sense because a ditch encircles the entire monument. Inside the henge, the ancient rocks are arranged in the iconic concentric circular shape. The stones themselves are a combination of sarsen stones, which are named after a type of sandstone, and blue stones, igneous rocks that have a hint of blue, which becomes more defined when the stones get wet. Separate from the main circular cluster, the heel stone stands within the avenue leading up to the central structure. This is important because the avenue goes from Stonehenge to the River Avon. The heel stone is a road marker between Stonehenge and the River Avon. Two other stones worth noting also feel separate from the main circles. Both point to Stonehenge's possible dark past, the altar stone and the slaughter stone. The altar stone lays flat on the ground, a slab of grayish-green sandstone believed to have been the surface used for animal sacrifice. And the slaughter stone is one of the eeriest sights at Stonehenge. When rainwater collects in its crevices, the water turns red, the color of blood. For years, people believed that blood from hundreds of years of sacrifice seeps out from the rock and mixes with the water when it rains. And many people believed this was the blood of humans. As we mentioned before, Stonehenge is approximately 5,000 years old. It predates the pyramids at Giza, written language, the builders of Stonehenge didn't even have the wheel. Because it's a prehistoric monument, that is, it predates written history, there's no written record of its initial purpose or who built it. Or how it was built. With no wheels or carts, there was no easy way to move the massive stones or stack them on top of each other. 
This might lead you to think Stonehenge is the remains of a natural rock formation. But that's impossible because bluestone and sarsen stone aren't naturally found on the Salisbury Plain. Sarsens come from about 20 miles north of Stonehenge, and bluestones come from the Preseli Mountains in Wales, about 140 miles away from Stonehenge. Then how are these stones moved without wheels? There are theories, but first let's establish the facts about the construction of Stonehenge to get a complete picture. It's believed that Stonehenge was built in three stages. The first stage began around 3000 BC, during the Stone Age, or Neolithic period, when the primary tools and weapons were made of stone. The first stage consisted of digging the henge or ditch. The builders most likely used deer antlers and cow bones as primitive shovels. Then, in phase two, the early builders dug 56 pits along the circle. These pits were eventually called Aubrey holes, named after archaeologist John Aubrey many centuries later. It is believed that early on, wooden posts were placed in the Aubrey holes. This was the earliest version of Stonehenge. Around 2550 BC, Phase 3 began. During Phase 3, stones were erected to form the Stonehenge we know today. It's generally believed that Stonehenge was completed around 2000 BC. Though there is evidence suggesting holes were dug outside the outer Sarsen Circle after 2000 BC. But there are no clues to what the holes were dug for, whether they were intended to hold more stones, more timber poles, or something else entirely. All told, Stonehenge was under construction on and off for over a thousand years. But the evidence of construction stops after 1520 BC. What happened then? We don't know why, but something must have changed for the worse, because after about 1520 BC, Stonehenge was permanently abandoned. Our story will continue in a moment after the break. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I was worried we'd bring back the same team. I meant those blackout motorized shades. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Hall of Fame son. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. When I found out I was going to be a parent, I immediately felt a lot of anxiety and worry. So I went on to BetterHelp to try to look for a therapist to help me with that. My relationship with my family and with my boyfriend and with myself were suffering. I really needed help. I was ruminating a lot. Really getting those thoughts out to a therapist and getting feedback was just life-changing. If you're thinking of trying therapy, learn more at BetterHelp. That's BetterHelp.com. And now let's continue the story. Why was Stonehenge abandoned by its builders? One major theory is that between 1400 BC and 700 BC, the climate on the Salisbury Plain got much colder, which would have made it difficult for the people to farm the land. In fact, in 1159 BC, an Icelandic volcano erupted. This caused massive clouds of ash and dust to block out the sun, which in turn affected the length of the growing season. Towards the end of the Bronze Age, around 1000 BC, when metal replaced stone as the primary material, 
Stonehenge officially became ruins. And it wasn't until many centuries later that the writings and theories of Stonehenge began to emerge, and the ruins became a topic of great fascination. Flash forward to the Middle Ages in 1130 AD, when English historian Henry of Huntingdon mentioned it in his writings. He considered Stonehenge one of the wonders of England. Here's what Henry wrote after observing the monument. Quote, The second marvel is at Stonehenge, where stones of amazing bigness are raised in a manner of gateways, so that gateways appear erected over gateways. Nor can anyone find out by what contrivance stones so great have been raised to such a height, or for what reason they have been erected in the first place." End quote. Stonehenge continued to fascinate people. In 1666, antiquarian John Aubrey produced his review of Stonehenge, and for the first time identified several prehistoric pits around the perimeter. Those are the Aubrey holes we mentioned earlier. Later, in the mid-1700s, a physician by the name of William Stukeley began a study of Stonehenge. He's considered the greatest pioneer of the investigation into the monument. Stukeley was the first modern man to identify one of Stonehenge's most intriguing features, the very specific arrangement of these stones. Or should we say, alignment. Stukeley noticed that the entrance to Stonehenge lined up perfectly with the sunrise. Stonehenge was connected to the sun. And on the summer solstice, the longest day in June, the sun rises right over the heel stone, the stone 800 feet away from the main monument. On one day of the year, the long shadow of the heel stone creates a path all the way to the entrance of Stonehenge. A clear sign that the arrangement of the stones was intentional. But what was the intention? And how did ancient people get massive stones to line up so perfectly? Let's look at some theories. First, we need to address two of the most popular Stonehenge theories, even if there isn't much proof for them. We're not saying we believe any of this, but it's interesting to examine stories that have emerged throughout the ages, especially as many people are staunch believers in the first two. The first theory that comes to many people's minds Stonehenge was built by aliens who had advanced technology. One version of this theory can be found in the infamous book Chariots of the Gods, Unsolved Mysteries of the Past by Eric Von Daniken. The book suggests that alien life forms, also known as ancient astronauts, may have built Stonehenge as a form of communication and evidence that they would return one day. Interestingly enough, several UFO phenomena occurring near Stonehenge have been recorded. In 1954, a photographer claimed to have captured a column of light rising up from a trilithon stone. And in 1977, someone reported seeing glowing lights moving in formations in the sky right above Stonehenge. And there are plenty more stories where these come from. I can't help but wonder. If these extraterrestrials helped ancient civilizations with building monuments, why haven't they helped us create anything in recorded history? That's an excellent question, and one I'm sure many ask. Maybe they just haven't returned yet. Or maybe they never visited in the first place. Does Danikin offer any proof? No. Any proof he's provided has been solidly debunked. 
so we can set this aside. Yes, but if you think that theory was crazy, wait until you hear the next one that's commonly believed. It's that the wizard Merlin helped build Stonehenge. The same Merlin who served King Arthur, a king of England during the 5th and 6th centuries, most famous for leading the Knights of the Round Table and pulling a sword out of a stone. However, contemporary historians still debate if Arthur ever existed at all. Some historians believe the tales were inspired by a British king by the name of Ambrosius Aurelianus. That's where we get to the Merlin-built Stonehenge theory. Apparently, King Aurelianus wanted to build a monument to British nobles who were killed by enemies. King Aurelianus consulted with Merlin, who told him to use massive stones that a giant brought from Africa to Ireland. When he heard this, King Aurelianus scoffed at the idea, saying the movement of the stones from Ireland to England was impossible. So Merlin accepted the challenge. Using his magic, Merlin helped an army transport the stones to England's Salisbury Plain and arranged them as they are today, possibly moving them like a telekinetic would. Imagine 50-ton stones levitating and being arranged by an invisible force. Quite terrifying and awe-inspiring. For years, that was the explanation for Stonehenge. Of course, there's no evidence for this. So let's move on to the most realistic theory of how Stonehenge was built. Stonehenge was quite an undertaking for its human builders. With no wheels or carts, they had to use prehistoric technology to move stones the size of elephants. Historians have puzzled over this for years. There are only a few theories as to how it was done, but the most probable technology involves animal fat and a ramp. Archaeologists discovered that the holes for the stone's placement were dug with a slant on one side. So one guess is that the builders rubbed animal fat on a wooden slab and used it as a ramp. The builders slid the stones on the greased wood into the hole. It's interesting to note that the lintel stones, the ones that lie horizontal across the tops of the big sarsen stones, had two holes carved into them. These holes perfectly fit with the knobs crafted on the tops of the sarsen stones. Like puzzle pieces, this strategy in building is called the mortise and tenon joint, and it's more common than you'd think. Archaeological evidence shows us that people at the time built their own houses and most likely used a similar method to do so. It was a method they were familiar with. And therefore, the mortise and tenon joint is more proof that humans built Stonehenge. Of course, that doesn't explain how the rocks got all the way from Wales to the Salisbury Plain. Think about it. Having to drag all those stones from over a hundred miles away. The sheer manpower needed to get the stones in place. Consider the undertaking. It was an unusually difficult, seemingly impossible feat. But a recent hypothesis deems it possible. Some historians believe the bluestones were carried away from the Welsh Priscelli Mountains on log sleds by ships through the sea and then along the river Avon to the Salisbury Plain. In 2000, a Welsh group called Mentor Priscelli decided to test this hypothesis and attempted to move a three-ton bluestone from the Priscelli Mountains to Stonehenge using only prehistoric methods. 
Using brawn and primitive technology, volunteers are moving a three-ton stone the size of a large dining table from Wales to Stonehenge, recreating the labour of ancient people who are believed to have built the mysterious monument. They are undertaking the 240-mile journey using a wooden sledge and ropes to drag the stone overland and a replica Neolithic boat to transport it across the Bristol Channel. They hope to end the trip in Stonehenge in south-central England in September. The blue stones, arranged within the circle of tall standing stones at Stonehenge, are believed to have been quarried in Wales. The volunteers were able to drag the bluestone to the coast using a Neolithic-style log sledge, but it was slow going. If the stones were moved from Wales to Stonehenge by humans, it was clearly a difficult job, as this weekend's progress by the volunteers has been slow and hard. They just covered about 1,200 metres in the first two and a half hours of the job. The volunteers did eventually get the stone to the coast, but when they attempted to move it via a Stone Age-style boat, the blue stone sank to the bottom of the ocean. It was impossible to retrieve it without modern technology. So using Stone Age boats to transport the stones was not 100% possible. Yes, though interestingly, the team did find other blue stones on the ocean floor in that area. So perhaps getting the pillars to Stonehenge simply took multiple attempts. Still, it's the most likely theory. Though there are archaeologists who believe the stones were pushed to the Salisbury Plain by moving, melting glaciers. It's possible, but we have no record of these glaciers existing. And if the glaciers did transport the stones to Stonehenge, there's still the question of how and why the massive stones were lifted upright, planted in the ground, and stacked on top of each other. And how they were lined up perfectly with the sunrise on the summer solstice. We'll return to our story in just a moment from the Parcast Network. Now the story continues. Regardless of how the stones got to Stonehenge, it was built by human hands. That actually brings us to the first theory on Stonehenge's purpose. Based on its arrangement in connection to the summer solstice, many people have theorized that Stonehenge was actually a complex calendar capable of counting the days in a year. Historian Joan Rankin and expert scale modeler Lloyd Matthews proposed the idea that Stonehenge was a massive calendar in 2016. This wasn't the first time this was theorized, but these two individuals had three years of research to back it up. Matthews was a master scale modeler who built life-size models of Stonehenge. That way, he could have access to his own Stonehenge 24-7 and do his measurements and research whenever he wanted. Matthews reached out to many experts, but it was historian Joan Rankin who helped him in his endeavor to answer the question of Stonehenge's primary purpose. The duo claims to have uncovered the true reason for the 56 Aubrey holes. Those are the holes that were dug around the main monument during the first phase of its construction, and it's theorized that timber poles once stood inside them. Matthews and Rankin believed these holes and the timber poles were part of a counting system on a calendar to track each day that passes. The position of the sun in the sky would align with a new Aubrey hole each day as the Earth revolved around the sun. A pole would be placed in the hole to match the sun's alignment. The next day, they'd move the pole to the next Aubrey hole. Once the builders reached the 56th Aubrey hole, they would continue to place the markers inside the holes 
starting with the first again. So how does that work when you take into consideration a full year? Well, it takes six and a half revolutions around Stonehenge to equal a year. 56 times 6.5 gives you 364 days. But a year has 365 days. Yes, but not by their system. According to Matthews and Rankin's claim, the builders of Stonehenge observed 364 days of the year, and then one extra day for the summer solstice. And here's where we get back to the importance of the heel stone's shadow and the sun's alignment with Stonehenge's entrance on the summer solstice. The builders of Stonehenge used the summer solstice, the longest day of the year in June, to mark the start of a new year. And that was signified by the shadow of the heel stone, made in the avenue connecting Stonehenge to the River Avon on the summer solstice. And this isn't the only possible calendar monument from that time period. In 2013, a group of researchers from Birmingham University in the UK examined the landscape of the Dee Valley in Scotland. They discovered a structure made of 12 large pits. The researchers deduced that the pits may have been used to mirror the phases of the moon. And according to the current moon phase, a wooden post was placed in a certain pit. Each pit reflected one phase of the moon. So as you go from the outside in, the pits get bigger. The largest pit, dug in the center, represented the full moon in the sky. The pits aligned with the mid-winter solstice of 10,000 years ago. This meant that, similar to Stonehenge, the pits aligned with the rising sun. But instead of the alignment happening in June, it happened in December. So the Dee Valley Pits could have been the first calendar in history, or at the very least, one of the earliest. Could Stonehenge also be one of these ancient calendars? It's very possible Stonehenge is a calendar in part. But I don't think that's all it is. There's another theory with stronger evidence that Stonehenge was something more. Part of the reason it's hard to debunk the calendar theory is that we can't analyze the complete monument. Yes, we can't be sure Stonehenge is a calendar because Stonehenge is missing pieces. It's estimated 162 stones were originally used to build Stonehenge back in 2000 BC. But only 93 stones remain. Only about half of the original structure of Stonehenge still stands. It appears there are about 69 stones missing. That's assuming they were counted correctly. There's an urban legend about a devil's curse at Stonehenge. It says the devil himself cursed the stones and no one will ever be able to accurately count them. No matter how many times a person counts the stones, they'll never come up with the same number twice. It's as if the human mind could never fully process the stones. But even with an accurate count, it's obvious some stones are missing. The bulk of these missing stones would have been a large outer circle the most likely theory is that over thousands of years, people chipped off and carried away so many small pieces that the monument eventually lost entire stones. Most of the remaining stones are chipped and clearly missing pieces. Right. Part of this is from disrespectful tourists taking souvenirs. But it's also in part because, in ancient times, blue stones were believed to have magical healing powers. Ancient shepherds traveled to these stones, chipped off pieces, then mashed them into a powder, and added water in the hopes of healing flesh wounds. 
Obviously, there's no evidence this worked. It's also possible the stones were taken for building material. Remember, these large rocks aren't common on the Salisbury Plain. But that's assuming the stones were there in the first place. Right. The popular non-completion theory put forth the idea that Stonehenge was never finished. Thus, the missing stones never existed. While the non-completion theory is an interesting thought, we don't think it's valid. In 2014, researchers confirmed markings in the grass, which indicate that there were many more stones there at one point. Additionally, there's a precedent for Stonehenge losing stones. On January 3, 1797, nearby farmers in the area of Salisbury Plain were hard at work, about a half a mile from Stonehenge when... They heard a jarring thud and felt the ground shake. Three of the largest stones at Stonehenge had fallen, two upright stones and one lintel across the top. This was the first recorded fall of Stonehenge's building blocks. Those responsible for investigating and maintaining British antiquities, a group known as the Wiltshire Antiquaries, noticed that the fallen trilithon had been set into a very shallow hole. One of the Wiltshire antiquaries who came to assess the damage was a self-educated archaeologist by the name of William Cunnington. In order to properly assess the damage and the cause for the fallen stone, Cunnington assembled a team to start digging up 24 spots to see what they could find. Cunnington dug by the slaughter stone and found a hole underneath it, which suggested that stone had also once stood upright. So it probably wasn't used for sacrifices after all. What's the explanation for the red water that runs from the slaughter stone then? Don't people think it's remaining blood from sacrifices? Iron from the slaughter stone blends with algae on its surface, which discolors the rainwater, making it appear red, like blood. So it likely wasn't used for ritual sacrifices. Yes. At least not to the point that blood soaked into it and is still coming out to this day. Continuing their dig, Cunnington and his team made one more very interesting discovery at Stonehenge. Body parts. In the early 1800s, buried human remains were found at Stonehenge. And that changed everything. Next week, we'll examine what the human remains found at Stonehenge tell us about its possible purpose and the people who built it. And we'll cover why we think Stonehenge was certainly built by humans and is more than just a calendar. Could it have been used for human sacrifice? Or was it a mass grave? Don't forget to subscribe to Unexplained Mysteries on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review or tell us what you think on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram as at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. It seems simple, but it really helps our show. A new episode comes out every Thursday. And next time, we'll continue our investigation of Stonehenge. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Ron Shapiro, with production assistance by Joel Stein and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. 
Unexplained Mysteries is written by Jess Mallow and stars Claire Delamar and Richard Rossner. 